And it's true, the Christian life is a fight. It's a race to move to the calling. And of course, as we progress toward it, that is the sanctifying process that's taking place in our life. Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. Whether you are a brand new believer or a seasoned saint, we have a very important episode today. Today we are talking about an important doctrine of the Christian faith, biblical sanctification. And to help us do that, we have our friend, Dr. Keith Essex, here on the podcast today. Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, Dr. Essex. Good to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. Dr. Essex is a professor emeritus at the Master's Seminary. Um, you told us uh, in, in past years, you've been a professor, an administrator, a pastor of a church, and uh, most importantly, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're, again, thankful to have you here today to talk about biblical sanctification. And to introduce more of that subject, in the fall of, I think it was 2010, uh, you wrote an article for the Master's Seminary Journal uh, called Sanctification, the Biblically Identifiable Fruit. And so we looked at that article, and we wanted to ask you some questions particularly about that. Before we get into it, Jesse, do you have any other preliminary comments? Yeah, well, I always have comments. Yeah, you know you that, Aaron, by now. You're pastor. But <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you on the program, Dr. Essex. You have been a, 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 a pastor's professor in, in, in every way at Master's Seminary for so long. Uh, really helping men like me who are training for ministry or who have trained for ministry to understand pastorally uh, what it means to understand the scriptures, rightly handle the scriptures, so that we can rightly teach and preach the scriptures. So I just want to say thank you for your, your your long-standing ministry, not just to the seminary, but to all the men who have come through as they now shepherd the flock of God. Uh, we are grateful to have you on the program. Amen. Well, like the Apostle Paul, my joy is... Uh, the men that God has allowed me to have an impact upon their lives. And Jesse, you're just one of countless men around the world that I'm very, very thankful for and uh, just having a small part in what God has done in preparing you for a pastoral ministry. That's a great joy. And you'll be my crown of boasting, like Paul says, <laughs> when uh, we all stand before Jesus Christ. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And, and I'm so excited to, to talk about this topic Aaron just mentioned, biblical sanctification, because as he mentioned, our, our whole purpose with this podcast is to help Christians love and live out God's Word. And, and living out God's Word has a lot to do with our topic for today, which is being sanctified or the process of biblical sanctification. So just starting with a very basic question, Dr. Essex, what is sanctification? Well, the idea of sanctification really comes from uh, the root in both the Old and New Testament that refers to holiness. Uh, so it has the idea of being separate from or uh, separate, separated out, or can then have the idea of being devoted to, or really the term is to be holy. And obviously, uh, in both the Old and New Testament, it begins, when we take a look at Scripture, with the fact that God is the Holy One. Uh, in fact, that is the preeminent attribute that is mentioned about God in Scripture, uh, that He is truly the Holy One of Israel. And uh, as the Holy One, He uh, calls His people, Israel in the Old Testament, believers in the New Testament, to be holy. And that process of uh, becoming holy 
is uh, the term for sanctification. To to become holy is to be sanctified, Mm -hmm. to be set apart. And the set apart idea from the world and separated unto God. And it is the basic calling, obviously, of the Christian. It's the way we reflect our holy God in our lives. And interestingly, the key term for believers in the New Testament is uh, the word saints. So we can think in terms of Christian, we can think of terms of brothers, we can think of terms of disciples, but the preeminent term that is used as saints, and that means as a saint, you are one that is set apart. And we'll get into a little bit of uh, the different phases of sanctification. But uh, when we become believers, we are referred to as saints, as the set-apart ones in Jesus Christ. So really, the whole concept of sanctification revolves around that uh, that term holiness. And the context of holiness is uh, the fact to be separated from. God is above and beyond his creation. He's not a part of it. He's separate from it. And so it has that somewhat spatial element to it, but also then he doesn't participate in the, the fallenness, the sin that is all around us, and so he's also separate from sin, and that gives us the moral dimension of uh, holiness. So spatial and then moral, and that uh, God is truly one who is holy and calls his people to be holy. Amen. And, and you've already alluded to, and that's super helpful to think about it in terms of God and his holiness and his setting apart believers unto himself. So we are positionally holy, positionally even sanctified, I guess you could say, or if that's the term you would use. Now, could you elaborate a little bit further on what we'll often see written about the concept of progressive sanctification? What does it mean for the believer to be progressively sanctified? Well, as you brought up, uh, Jesse, and I would use that passage like many others in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, as, as he writes to the saints. And of course, 1 Corinthians is is really Paul's challenge to the Corinthians to live up to that status, to their set-apart position, and wanting to see that work out in their practice. So we're talking about progressive sanctification. There is the positional and you can also take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, where it talks about the fact that we have been sanctified and ties in with justification and our washing away of our impurities, our sins. And so that looks at what has already taken place for the believer as he is saved and then united with Jesus Christ. That's positional. And then comes the call to to practice or to live up to the position uh, that uh, we have been given in Jesus Christ. And uh, a key passage, in fact, I began my article with this passage from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, just so we don't think uh, that the whole concept of sanctification is just an Old Testament idea. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, Beginning in verse 13, he says, Therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not being conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, 
because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Uh, so you see there in verse, uh, verse 15 that we need to be holy in all of our conduct as Christians. And uh, the New Testament talks a lot about our conduct, about our walk, uh, walking in the good works that God has ordained uh, for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. So our walk, our conduct, our behavior is to be holy, is to be pure, is to be blameless. And so this is the outworking of that uh, position that we have in Jesus Christ, a call to live up to that position in our behavior, in our conduct. Just as the Old Testament saint was called to be holy, a number of times in the book of Leviticus, you are to be holy as I am holy. And Peter uh, quotes that verse and says basically the same thing now to New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. Your conduct is to reflect who you are in Christ. You too are to be holy to be set apart, to be sanctified. That is the progressive aspect, which is also the the present tense of salvation. Uh, the salvation root is also used in the New Testament of that which is past. We have been saved. We're in the process of being saved, and we will be saved when we uh, stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And sanctification is the same way, that it's really the present tense of our salvation anticipating our ultimate salvation, our ultimate sanctification, when we're glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Thank you for drawing that out. I love that passage in First Peter. You pointed out well, it says we're as obedient children, and the Bible calls us saints. We still must be holy as God is holy. And that shows that it is a fight. We need the command. We need to be told to be holy. And uh, we know God doesn't ask more than we can handle. God does not ask beyond what we can do. So we have the the supernatural ability to obey God's commands and be holy. And I'm glad you brought that up, Aaron, because that uh, that really ties into Second Peter chapter one, where uh, it uh, it says in verse three, seeing that His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So God has given us everything we need for godliness, for for practical sanctification, progressive sanctification in our lives as believers. But uh, he goes on in verse 5, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, etc., knowledge, self-control, and on down he goes. So it is the fact that because you know, God has given us everything necessary. Now it's up for us to work it out in our day-by-day behavior as believers. I love what you're saying. Now, I'm just thinking of, of our listeners and and just what would you say to the person who's hearing what you're saying and hearing, you know, God says you must be holy. You've been called apart. Now you must be holy. Um, but we fail sometimes. We We can't, we don't achieve this. What questions should a believer ask themselves when when they're struggling with this idea that they're commanded to be holy and they have the ability to be holy, but they're not? And we all have that uh, process, obviously. Go back to 1 Corinthians, you know, which is uh, really a book to understand with this whole concept of holiness, that Paul begins by saying, you know, you're saints, you're set apart in Jesus Christ, and yet we see a, a church— 
that is not manifesting that that holiness. Uh, they're divisive. They're attacking one another. Their worship is uh, degenerated at the Lord's Supper, chapter 11. Their problems, the lawsuits against one another. They're going to the uh, uh, to the banquets and participating in the debauchery of uh, the Roman culture at that time. Uh, chapter six: uh, the problems in marriage, the, the misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. I mean, here's a a a group of saints that that were not living up to their position, and uh, so. Paul issues the challenge, which is obviously to identify that sin, to repent of that sin, and and re-embrace the reality that you're set apart in Jesus Christ, and now, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit and God working in us, because we really are working out what God has placed within us by His Spirit, uh, by means, I think, of responding to Scripture, just said, obediently that we move on in the Christian life. And it's true, the Christian life is a fight, it's a race, it is this battle uh, to move to the calling, the standard that God has given to us, his righteous standing. And of course, as we progress toward it, that is the sanctifying process that's taking place in our life. And it is God at work in us. Uh, we, we have the triune God abiding in us, and particularly the Holy Spirit that enlightens uh, Scripture as we study it. So uh, the article preceding mine by uh, by Dr. Barrick talks about the means of sanctification, and he puts tremendous emphasis upon the Holy Spirit and the Scripture, that through those means we can, we can overcome this moral pollution we find ourselves in the world. And it, it is progressive. None of us are going to become wholly sanctified uh, in this life. But it is a journey and a journey that many times goes like this, but ultimately it is for the believer an upward journey because one of the great evidences, I think, of uh, of sanctification is more and more Christ-likeness uh, that becomes a part of our experience as believers. Yeah, Dr. Essex, I can't help but I'm in Colossians right now, as the men in the room know, and I'll be in Colossians 3 this weekend, and, and we don't see the word sanctification in our English Bibles mm-hmm. in the text I'll be in, but I'm looking right now at Colossians 3.12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, so there's our identity, positional yes. sanctification, then comes the put on, mm-hmm. a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience there's progressive sanctification. Would you agree that that's what's happening there, positional and progressive? Yes, that's exactly what's taking place there. Uh, Another concept obviously tied in progressive sanctification is putting off the old, putting on the new. Right. Again, positionally, that's already taken place. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. The old man has been crucified uh, at the cross. Who we were in Adam is dead. But the problem, of course, is our flesh— you know, still resonates toward who we were, but now we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and so we are to put on our heart of compassion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, Paul there in Colossians 3 is using that put off, put off the old, put on the new. All right, positionally it's taken place. Now, practically, you're going to have to work it out in your daily life. So yes, that passage ties right into progressive sanctification. Dr. Essex, what does this look like? So if if you were to 
identify a Christian without them telling you they're a Christian? What does this look like in, in someone's life? What is sanctification lived out? Well, this has been a an area of uh, discussion. I quoted Ryle in the article, an Anglican bishop evangelical of uh, a little over 100 years ago, and uh, he asked the question, what are the visible marks of a sanctified man? Uh, what may we expect to see in him? And that was to be the burden, obviously, of my article. What does a sanctified man look like? And that's why we see the fruit, okay? Fruit is the outward evidence uh, that uh, that can be seen. And, uh, of course, goes back to, you know, Matthew uh, chapter 7, where Jesus says that by their fruits you shall know them. Just as a tree is known by its fruit, well, a, a true teacher, false teacher, is known by their fruits, by their behavior, by their actions, by their by their attitude. And so, you know, fruit, and that's that's why Dr. Mayhew, yeah, I think chose that term. That when looking at fruit, we're looking at okay, what is the the external evidence? And too many times, that has been viewed as something uh, you know very uh, particular as far as behavior is concerned. That a sanctified person does this, they don't do this, and. There is an element, obviously, of truth to that. But ultimately, the the beginning evidences of sanctification, uh, and I tied it in to Galatians uh, chapter uh, 5 with the fruit of, of the Spirit and the different characteristics that are mentioned there. In fact, that is also in contrast, you know, with the deeds of the flesh, those 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 characteristic attitudes and behaviors uh, before we became Christians. But then as as the Spirit is at work in us, He produces as the fruit, and you know it well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Significantly, it is the Spirit who is is bringing forth this this fruit in the life of the believer. But at the same time, you can go into the New Testament and find that every one of these are commanded of believers to love, to love one another. Consider it all joy, James 1. And down the line you go. There's imperatives that are given to believers for each one of these. But I think the the manifestation, the, the evidence that the Christian will see and other believers will see is the growth in these basic attitudes of love, joy, peace, etc. That as you go through, and I have a chart in the article, that uh, are also seen in the person of Christ. Christ is uh, love, he exercised self-control, and also said about God, because at the end of the day, what we're saying about the sanctified believer is he's Christ-like. He reflects Christ in his attitudes, and that also reflects, because obviously Christ is uh, is part of the triunity of God, that it emphasizes godliness. And uh, at, at times we are to reflect Christ in the New Testament. Other times it just talks about godliness, as we saw in Second Peter. God has given us everything we need for godliness. I mean, they're really, in the end, you know, talking about the uh, the same basic reality. 
And so I tie it back to the work of the triune God and the believer, that the Father wants believers who who reflect him. That's why we were created. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, man was created to represent God upon this earth, to reflect God uh, over his animal creation and uh, the uh, the different elements of the earth. We were we were to, to exercise God's authority and sovereignty and rule, you know, in his place. And we were to represent and reflect God, which is only what's going to take place when we uh, finally have culminated salvation, sanctification, glorification. Uh, when we will rule and reign, you know, with Jesus Christ, we will perfectly reflect him. But in the meantime, uh, we are being transformed step by step, glory to glory, until that ultimate glorification. And so it really comes down to the attitudes and the and the persona of the believer that is growing in these attitudes that then work themselves out in conduct. And certainly we see that in the New Testament, that, okay, the believer is going to put these uh, attitudes into effect in action. Going back to Colossians chapter 3, uh, that once we put on these these uh, these attitudes that are there in uh, what verses ten through fifteen sixteen seventeen, and ultimately putting on Christ, uh, as you're going to look there in uh, Colossians chapter three, and then it works out. Uh, Colossians three eighteen to four uh, one in the relationship of the husband to the wife, the parents to the children. And the, the slave to the master, the employee, employee, it's going to start working out in these, uh, areas in our daily conduct. Uh, this, this Christ-likeness, this godliness, this fruit of the spirit is going to be manifested in our daily lives. And of course, that is where the ultimate, you know, fruit is seen. I think what Ryle is, you know, saying there is when we get to that, that ultimate behavior, you know, how exactly is uh, submission on the wife's part, love on the husband's part? How does that work out? How is it seen in particulars? Uh, there can be some discussion on that, but but basically that, that Christ-like attitude, that godly attitude, is to be seen in the sanctified believer. And of course, when I say that, it's almost uh, redundant terms because the believer is sanctified positionally, but he's working it out in practice. And it works out in our day-by-day activities. And of course, that's where we do have some some different, you know, debates upon exactly what is to be seen. And from the very early preaching on, uh, preachers were very, very clear to show some of the practical implications in daily life and conduct of having these Christ-like attitudes. Dr. Essex, um, if you wouldn't mind just for a second taking off the professor hat and putting on the pastor hat just for a moment and indulge us, if you would, if someone were to come to you as a pastor and say, I don't see much fruit in my life. I don't know that I'm being progressively sanctified. I put my faith in Christ, uh, but I'm not seeing what all that you're describing, this this growth, um, this advancement in my faith, in the tangible evidence of the faith I say I have. How would you minister to that person? First thing I would bring up is the very fact that uh, you're, you're conscious of that, shows the Spirit's work in your life. It is the person who who 
claims to be a Christian, but then has no concern uh, for growth in Christ. And again, I would use the you know example of uh, of the Corinthians, mm. the most wayward uh, group of believers that Paul had to deal with in the New Testament. And so, uh, again, a, a recognition that all of us are on this journey. And it is the uh, the work of the Spirit, but there has to be the response on uh, the part of the believer. And the very fact that you, you come and say, I'm not seeing the kind of uh, growth in, in my life. Uh, in Hebrews 6, okay, press on to maturity, press on to completeness. And, uh, and it means just that. Laying aside, you know, those things that are past, the sinful past, building upon your faith in Jesus Christ now progress. And what I would challenge the person to do is, uh, <laughs> I think it was Dr. Barrick put in his article, put, their, put themselves in the way of uh, God's work. Uh, and that is, bring yourself under the sound of Scripture. Hmm. All right, so don't neglect the assembling of yourselves. Uh, be with other believers as the word of God is being proclaimed. And uh, take it to heart and ask the Holy Spirit to allow you to start to obey what you are hearing. Interact with other believers uh, in, in fellowship. Uh, ask God for, for, for his guidance, his help. And be thankful for what God has done in your life, bring you to salvation, bring you to the point of recognition that uh, you want to move on in your Christian life, and uh, then put yourself in those places where God is uh, is going to be able to, through His Holy Spirit, minister you in such a way that you can look back and start to see uh, the fruit of the Spirit coming in your lives, and others will be able to see it as well. And uh, I, I mean, here is Paul's challenge to Timothy uh, in First Timothy 4. You've got to discipline yourself to godliness. It just doesn't happen. All right. And so here's where the spiritual disciplines of Bible study, of hearing preaching, of obedience, of prayer, of fellowship, all of these things, you know, you have to take responsibility before God. Yes, it is God who's giving you everything for godliness, but you have to do your diligent part as well. And so that would be my challenge, you know, to a believer who came to me in that way. What a great challenge. I love that. Yeah, Put, pay attention to Colossians 3 as you're preaching it. Yeah, that's right. But that's remember, right. Colossians 3 is based upon what is in Colossians 1 and 2, who we are in Jesus Christ. That's right. Mm -hmm. And seeking the things above where he dwells. But nevertheless, we got to live that out day by day here upon the earth, chapter Amen. three and chapter four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Put yourself in the way of God's work. That's wonderful. Don't forsake the assembly. Come sit under teaching from Colossians 3. Come listen to Sound Words, both biblical podcasts and obviously the Bible. Uh, put yourself in, in the service of others. Uh, well said. That's a mm -hmm. good exhortation. Um, Dr. Essex, one more question for you. What, what are the benefits of biblical sanctification, both here in this life and the life to come? Well, the benefits, uh, when, when I hear that word, and I think uh, the question you sent me was, was even the blessings 
And uh, what popped right into my mind is what I preached there at Indian Hills back about eight, nine years ago when I was there. You know, from Psalm 1, blessed is the man. You know, blessed is the man who no longer walks in the counsel of the wicked. All right. Sanctification, you know, being set apart, being separated from the influence of the world and uh, sinners and uh, and the ungodly. And, okay, then positively, he delights in God's instruction. He meditates upon it. And he becomes like that tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. So the benefit is you become that blessed man, that man who manifests the uh, fortune, the, the, uh, the, well, I want to use the word blessing, but uh, he, he gains this favor from God. He's in this favorable position. So I think the greatest benefit of progressive sanctification is progressively one is becoming more within and under the favor of God so that God can pass on his grace and his favor, you know, to that individual and through that individual to others. And truly, he is one who's going to delight and meditate upon God's instruction. It's going to manifest itself in his life, in the fruit that comes forth. And just like fruit on a tree, it's going to be beneficial to those who take it and eat it. You become beneficial in the lives of others. I think too many times we look at sanctification as being somebody's going to benefit me. Uh, Ultimately, yes, it does. You're a blessed man. You're, You're in the sphere of God's favor. But the greatest benefit is the way in which you'll impact others for God, that the fruit of sanctification is going to be used by God in the lives of other believers and even non-believers for their benefit, for their good as well. Uh, we live too much in a me-centered you know, culture where it's all about my blessing. Well, yes, there is a, a blessing that comes to the sanctified believer. But I think the greatest benefit, the greatest blessing is the impact that they have for God upon others. That's well put. And I can't help again, but take it back to Colossians where I'm, my head space is right now. But even those put on behaviors, love, patience, forgiveness, there's always an object of that love and patience and forgiveness. There's somebody on the other side that you are showing that love or extending that patience to or forgiveness toward. So right on target, Dr. Essex, these are commands to be lived out corporately um, as fellow believers in a body of Christ. Right. And, so, and, and you're not alone in the sanctifying process. Okay, you have the Spirit internally. Uh, you have union with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That is the basis of that godliness. But again, God puts other believers into your life. Just as you benefit them, they also benefit you in this sanctification process. Yeah, amen. And and you want to touch on for us just briefly, I know there's final sanctification. Uh, where, yes. where are we headed with our sanctification? What is final sanctification? Final sanctification is when we're finally in the presence of Jesus Christ. We shall see him, First uh, John chapter 3, behold him, and we will be like him. Hmm. That's when Christ-likeness is complete, when we are now separated totally from the presence of sin in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's our glorification. 
That's our ultimate sanctification, our ultimate salvation, our ultimate completeness and maturity in in Christ. And uh, we will never be God, um, but nevertheless, we will be God-like and finally be able to be used by God in the millennium and in the eternal state to fulfill the plan and program that he had for mankind going back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And that's the ultimate. So we are on that journey, and that journey does have a destination. And that destination for the believer is glorification, and it will be glorious as we rule and reign with Jesus Christ and perfectly reflect him to the rest of creation. Oh, for that day. Oh, for that day. Maranatha. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Essex. I appreciate you, and and thank you for giving your insights on sanctification and helping us think through this topic. Uh, Praise God for your ministry. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you again for the invitation. You bet. Pastor Jesse, any last words today? Yes. The final word, as always, goes to God and His Word from 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening.